Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. We're either going to treat solar as Americans the way that my generation basically treated textiles, where for a very small period in the 90s, we all really cared about who was making our clothes and our tennis shoes, and then we just stopped caring. We're either going to do that or we're not when it comes to solar. And people are going to have to realize that the way that we've been doing things will have to change a bit. That was Aaron Bates, the CEO and founder of Toledo Solar, a manufacturer of cadmium telluride, CADTEL thin film solar modules. Bates clearly cares about who is making solar modules and, just as importantly, where. In response to the Inflation Reduction Act, Toledo Solar is scaling its production capacity to 2.3 gigawatts by 2027. It's bringing the technology that made First Solar a household name to the commercial and residential sectors and doing it right down the street from First Solar's factory in Ohio. I'm John Engel, Content Director for Renewable Energy World. You may already have a hunch that Bates has some pretty strong opinions about the solar industry and where it's heading. You'd be right. This week on Factor This, Bates and I talk about the founding story of Toledo Solar and its ties to Ohio's rich history of manufacturing. We get into silicon versus CADTEL modules, tariffs, and we'll learn why Bates says you need to be wary of the untruths behind Made in America Solar. That's all next on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. This episode of Factor This is sponsored by Hala Technologies, a Kohler company. Hala's Edge platform provides EPCs and developers with seamless integration and deployment of distributed energy resources to enable simplified control and optimization, monitoring and analytics, and operation and maintenance. The Edge equips each DER with individual intelligence that coordinates power assets to build self-managing microgrids and fleets from the ground up. Hala Technologies is a proud sponsor of the 2023 Grid Tech Connect Forum, which is bringing together California utilities, developers, and regulators on February 6th in San Diego. Register now at gridtechconnect.com to learn more about Hala and The Edge. Well, Aaron Bates, uh, CEO of Toledo Solar, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Yeah, so let's let's start off with the the origins of Toledo Solar and, and your background as well, Aaron. Before we get into some of these these bigger issues facing the the industry and you know your role not just in Ohio but in this broader domestic manufacturing conversation, can you set up uh, what the Toledo Solar story is and and how you fit into that? Yeah, it's a very interesting story. Um, it takes a long time to tell, so I'll try to keep it short. So yeah, so Toledo Solar actually started. I mean this. The company now, uh, you know, the manufacturing plant itself was built in 2008, I think they started. And really, the Toledo Solar story is really a story of cadmium telluride in general, right? So it sort of all encompasses itself. So if you go back in time, uh, CADTEL, as we call it, was really invented for as a semiconductor for photovoltaic use back in the mid-1980s, uh, actually at the University of Toledo. Um, there were really two humans, two sort of people. There's a whole team of people, obviously, but it really kind of started with two, two folks as sort of the brainchild of one on the university side was a guy named, uh, Dr. Al Kampan. 
And on the business side, if you will, was a guy named Harold McMaster. Um, Harold owned Glass Tech. Uh, Glass Tech is and always has been for the last 60 or 80 years. Something like 90% of all uh, formed automotive equipment or glass, if you will. So like formed glass on automotive and aerospace is made on Glass Tech uh, equipment. Glass Tech is a very much a Toledo, Ohio sort of glass city legacy company, right? Um, Toledo has always been sort of Glass City USA, and it still continues to be. So, so they got together, um, and both were physicists, and they had this idea of putting a semiconductor directly on glass uh, for photovoltaics. And Harold and Al got together, and they they basically, I think Harold was on the board of trustees at the University of Toledo. He had this idea of recruiting a physicist to focus on research specifically for this effort. And he recruited Al from the University of Chicago or maybe Kansas at that point. He was doing his postdoctoral work to come to the University of Toledo and become the first photovoltaic researcher in the state of Ohio. Um, and so they did it. And they started with a lot of different semiconductors, uh, amorphous silicon, silicon, polysilicon, polycrystalline silicon. They tried everything. And what they sort of stumbled upon, if you will, in a way, was, was cadmium telluride. Uh, cadmium telluride is an alloy that has a, what's called a band gap. And the band gap, all semiconductors have a band gap. And that's, it's, uh, the band gap is essentially, it's, a, it's the wavelength of light spectrum that it absorbs to cause it to essentially convert light to electricity. And CATEL has uh, almost a perfectly aligned band gap with our sun. So, which means all visible light spectrum from our sun is converted to power with CATEL. So we use a lot of terms like efficiencies, and that's all fine. But what that really means is power over time, kilowatt hours. And so they just, they knew that Cattell, um, you know, in theory, would have a lot of um, really good benefits if you could just get it on the glass and get it to sort of do what you wanted it to do. And they were able to do that. And that then became a spin-out called Glass Tech Solar. Glass Tech Solar then became Solar Cells, Inc. Solar Cells, Inc., now we all know it today as First Solar. First Solar was the, sort of the origination of it. And what's interesting about that is, you know, CADTEL on, on solar, on glass, has become done in labs every day. It's done globally in labs and laboratories everywhere. But the trick is, of course, to do it, to, to be able to manufacture it cost-effectively. And to do so, they came up with a method called vapor transport deposition. There's many different ways to do it in a lab. There's sputtering and closed place sublimation and lots of cool ways. Some people will electroplate. There's a lot of like trying to get this material on glass, but to do so cost effectively in a highly automated fashion and do it repeatedly and high quality is very tricky. So VTDs, vapor transport deposition. So anyway, that's kind of how First Solar started, to be honest. And it was started here in Toledo. Um, Al, Dr. Compan, stayed at the university. He was very pure. He had no interest in going out and starting a company. That was sort of Harold's thing. And then Harold had investors in the Walton family, and then it became this, you know, company as we all know it today. Um, and so during that time, uh, now by 2008 or so, most of the folks that had sort of taken that Solar Cells Inc. company and became First Solar had kind of retired or cashed out, right? So you had engineers and physicists and like the first CEO of Solar Cells Inc. as it went public as First Solar. You know, all of this group are all Toledo, Ohio people. And this was in the sort of mid to late 2000s, where during the Obama administration, as we all know, there were like, couldn't throw a rock without somebody starting a solar company somewhere in the United States. And there were a lot of different folks running a lot of different technologies, SIGs, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. 
silicon, um, you know, which is very cost of, not cost effective to manufacture domestically, as we know. So there's a lot of folks turning the Wild West. Solyndra, which was trying some pretty interesting, but ultimately technologies that wouldn't scale. We don't say well, that. Right? We don't just, say that name on this podcast. I'll bleep it out. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So no, I know, man. I mean, but it's 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 it was the it was sort of the halcyon days of the wild west of startups, right? And there was one that was started here in Toledo in Perrysburg that was called the Willard and Kelsey Solar Group, and that group was like the first CEO of Solar Cells Inc. And you know, a lot of the first engineers that started this vapor transport deposition system and design at First Solar, and and they knew that there was another way that they could potentially have vapor transport deposition IP, not only to practice around what First Solar had in terms of their patents and manufacturing methods, but also they could get their own patents. In other words, kind of a faster, better next generation of vapor transport deposition. And they were successful in doing that. And this this sort of became Willard and Kelsey. And this was around that 2012, 2012 sort of period of time. And they raised, you know, about $100 million that went in to build um, the sort of pilot site of 100 megawatts, which at the time was a lot of solar, right, back in 2010, 2011. And then ultimately, you know, this was kind of institutional finance, right? So you had venture capital firms and PE firms and um, family offices that were just investing in everybody that started any solar company, full stop. And then you had 2012 hit, right, where it was just decimation, right, the, the, the Foreign manufacturers just came in and cut the legs out of there, there were no real trade guardrails, right? I mean, I think in hindsight, policy wise, it just we should have had more trade guardrails in place. So the entire industry just get wiped out. But it did. And so most investors headed for the hills and pulled out of everything solar, you know, so you know, like I like I said, I mean, just all these companies died. A Calixo abound, you know, there's the, the, the we've all seen the list, right? And Willard and Kelsey was on that list. Now I at that time, I was at a private equity firm, right? I was a partner in charge of uh, M&A and distressed investments um, back then. And so we were all, you know, I, I, in other words, I'm not a solar guy. I had nothing to do with it. You know, I know this story after the fact, right? And so, um, so yeah, that happened. And, and there was one guy, there was one investor in W&K as everybody was just heading for the hills and pulling all capital out and, you know, sell everything globally and just pennies on the dollar, you know, basically when, when the investments when the market is sour, everyone just, you know, goes to the other side of the ship. And there was one investor here in Toledo. His name is Jim Apple. And he was a minority investor in this Willard and Kelsey solar group company. He was very, he made it, he, he did not inherit his wealth. He made it the old fashioned way, uh, the hard way. And it was actually in the cookie business. He owned Consolidated Biscuit. Uh, he had started there as an engineer. And he, over time, acquired it from the owner and just kept buying more cookie factories. And he owned like the largest cookie manufacturing, you know, company conglomerate like in the States. And he sold it. Now, that's and so story. he that's that's going to be in the it, yeah. for this episode. <laughs> He's a hell of a guy. And, and it was a really I mean, just a really interesting guy. So he knew as an engineer that Willard and Kelsey did not pause or fail due to technical risk or anything like that. I mean, he, he wasn't running the company, he, but he knew the people that were, and he was an investor. And he knew that from a technical perspective, the patents that they had for vapor transport deposition, the equipment that was there, it was right there at that sort of precipice of like, let's get going. And then the market just went to hell. I mean, even first solar in 2012, I think laid off like 30% of their global force, right? They closed the Germany plant. Like there was a lot of upheaval during that time, as I think people that have been doing this longer than I can attest. And so anyway, um, I... So now we're into this 2016, 2017 timeframe. 
So from my perspective, um, I had left my partnership with my firm. I kind of, uh, when I started in this partnership, it was a big PE firm. You know, my, my assumption was that the rate of sociopathy is always higher in certain um, industries, right? And private equity finance being one of them. And I, I believe that I confirmed that from an ad hoc perspective that I, I basically, you know, kind of had it. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something. And turnaround M&A is something I really, you know, really, really enjoy. Um, and in my life, I've been fortunate enough to, like, I, I invented a retroflective powder coating when I was 25, right? Like, I grew up in manufacturing. And so, so then sort of starting companies and then going to the institutional finance route to really understand more of, you know, the engineering behind how does one just, you know, actually get a business up and going or, or, or turned around or acquiring and selling, et cetera. And so I knew I kind of wanted to do something. So anyway, I, uh, I joined a nonprofit. A friend of mine, um, Dennis Anders, was the CEO at the time of the Wright State Research Institute in Dayton, Ohio. And he'd started this um, nonprofit that was there specifically to fund uh, research in the state of Ohio at universities. And he had this really kind of eclectic board, if you will, of folks that came from all different backgrounds, not just academia. Um, and um, he was like, hey, you want to kind of do this? And so I got to know at that time, I sort of through that, you know, as one does when you join a board or not, you know, go to like a nonprofit route, um, you learn a lot, right? And I learned a lot about the historical sort of commercialization successes or research at a university became a viable business in the, in the, in a region, right? And for solar is a hell of a story in that vein of what I just sort of laid out. So I sort of knew this and I was learning a bit about it. And I mean, I met some really cool researchers at the University of Toledo that told me this story. Uh, Mike Heben, who is the chair of the physics department at the time. Um, and I got to meet Al Compan, you know, I got to meet all of these really great, cool names of research that, that had done this before. And then I got to meet Jim Appold actually. And so I was told this story and I was just fascinated. And the more, and I was actually born in Toledo, Ohio, or, or not far from here uh, when I was a kid. So coming back here, it was just kind of, it was an interesting time, 2017, you know, 20, 2018. And I had known a lot of folks from the institutional finance side, you know, that, that um, like, you know, financial engineers and, you know, having run diligence now on multiple acquisitions and investments, I, I, I sort of knew a lot more people and I had worked with a lot more folks and getting to know Jim and uh, the folks at University of Toledo, I, I found myself as one does. So the field saying is like dogs go home, right? Like I found myself thinking about this, like, wow, you know, what an interesting story. Like, you just find your, you know, like you just find yourself, your, your hands sort of find their way to the piano, right? It's just the way that you'd sort of do it. So, and getting to know Jim, I would show, you know, at a restaurant in town and we would show up. And when I was in town, we'd have like lunch or dinner or drinks or cookies. something. Cookies. You cookies. Yeah, right. And, um, <laughs> and it was just interesting, you know, and like it was a really cool group of people. And I wasn't really at the time really like uh, uptight or really focused on like the next thing I was going to do because I was just taking some time. You know, I had little kids and, and all of that. And I've been traveling a lot for the previous several years. So I was kind of, you know, digging, just taking it easy, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And over the course of time, I found myself thinking, well, let's look at the market. Let's look at the projected solar market. I don't know anything about it. So I'm doing what I just normally do, which is like historical due diligence, right? And then forward, forward looking market analysis, just the stuff that one does. And I started calling folks that I knew and like, like people that I'd known for 20 years and engineers and, and finance folks and saying, Hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? You know? And I started to put together, I found myself sort of organically putting together a team of people just like I would at a firm saying, you know, maybe we should try to find a reason not to do something like this. And the more it went, the more I, 
I just thought it was really interesting. So then Jim one day turned to me at lunch and he said, well, you know, it's just sitting here. It's been sitting here for years. I've never disconnected a piece of equipment. I've been paying engineers for like three days a week to just come in and tend this place. He had invested a lot of capital <laughs> over, to, over time into this sort of diamond in the rough that everybody had forgotten existed. And you just never hear about these things in M&A, right? If I told you there was a, a factory that had been sort of on, on state in stasis for five years, normally that would be like the copper is gone. The mice have eaten the wiring. Like there's the rain is distorted. You just all this stuff. Uh, that was not the case, right? I mean, the, the building had been heated for five years. Like it was just really interesting. So anyway, he's like, Hey, why don't I sell you this place? And I said, you know, that's crazy. I grew up in factories and I, I literally had to work really hard to get out of all of the different things I've done. But, I thought about it and uh, the more I thought about it, you know, visited the plan. I started hiring. I found myself hiring consultants and my group started hiring, you know, consultants, engineers. And really what we found is just kind of running a formal diligence platform um, and market analysis. What if we were to do this? What does a path to market strategy look like? Just all the things that one does when you're find yourself getting serious about a project. And we did. And ultimately we went and interviewed like everybody that used to work at Willard and Kelsey and now you're recruiting and, you know, you just, and we got really lucky. A lot of those folks were still here in Toledo. Some of them had passed away. Some of them were still alive. Some of the younger folks had gone off to other sort of projects and jobs. And we found a lot of them were willing to quit their jobs to come back and just consult, assuming that we would close and start Toledo Solar, which ultimately we did in June of 2019. We actually, that was sort of our, our closing day. Um, and then it was, all systems go right, and we knew that we were predicating. You know, our our investment thesis in this was, Cattell has been around for twenty five years. It's been in the market. It's ninety percent, I think, last year, or ninety three percent of all utility scale solar in the United States is done on Cattell modules. I think overall, it's roughly fifty percent of all utility scale solar in the country is you know Cattell. It's first solar. First solar historically has never taken their technology to the non utility market. So, from a manufacturing perspective. You know, first solar is right down the street. We're in a 300,000 square foot building there. You know, I've got like 6 million square feet on a campus down the street or something. But it's we knew that. A, and it's about to double too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, they double every two and a half years just to maintain market position. I mean, yeah. they're they're trying to double over like six months. I mean, they. Yeah, we'll get to more it's of a, that. It's a crazy. Sure. Yeah, it's a crazy market, right? So so the way that we just kind of went through it, we thought, okay, we're going to let's be the small company that starts by let's not do what everybody else did and like go big immediately and raise a billion dollars and just, and which is fine, but that's not the way we wanted to approach it. We wanted to approach it sort of with a lot of, with a lot of folks that have a lot of scars from those times, not myself per se, but a lot of smokes older and smarter than I. And we wanted to make it more of an organic, like let's take this technology to the non-utility markets, residential rooftop, commercial industrial, starting in the States. And most of my friends uh, from professionally, you know, uh, back then thought I was out of my mind. Right. I mean, cause like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I think we're going to invest in a starting a domestic manufacturer of solar. And by 2019, they're like, you've lost your fucking mind. It's like, you just, you're out of, you've lost it, man. And our bet was like, yeah, but just, just, but though, you know, it, I think there's a, there's value here. Like there is a path that if, that this kind of could be a smart thing to do. And I think it could be meaningful and fun. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's that's us now in 2023, I guess, right? We're 
sort of doing that. And uh, we're actually doubling our capacity from 100 to 300 megawatts. It's not that much anymore. We're doubling that capacity um, starting now. It's like a 12-month lead time. Equipment has to come in. And, uh, but, yeah, we're making those investments now. So it's it's been a heck of a ride so far. You know, Is it still fun? Was it Has it been a fun three, four years? Oh, yeah. Hey, Factor This listeners, it's John Engel. I wanted to let you know that you can now watch every new episode of the Factor This podcast on YouTube. Just search Renewable Energy World and leave a rating and review while you're there. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's fun. And, and I'll tell you why. It's because we're obviously crazy people, right? But what I have always told folks is that, you know, there might be, we've all read the list of like, there's a hundred failed solar manufacturers in the States yeah. or something. There's only one that's re, that's like risen again, <laughs> you know what I mean? And essentially that's what solar is like. So we are somewhat unique in that regard. So what I kind of tell people is if we're, you know, if you join this company, then you will absolutely are doing something that nobody else has done that I'm aware of in this frame. Right. So I think, I think a lot of people like that challenge, you know? So what is the existing relationship then with first solar? I know you have a lot of Maybe um, I don't know if informal ties is the right mm-hmm. way to, to frame that. But, you know, you've you've swapped people back and forth uh, quite a bit since, you know, in this founding story. Is there shared mm-hmm. IP here? Is there share? Is there any ownership no. tie? Nothing? No, nothing at all. So, I mean, I will say this. It is an informal relationship. I mean, they have a global supply chain. Cattail. Yeah. It's not just here. It's India, Vietnam, Malaysia. Equipment's manufactured all over the world. I mean, it's a very robust global supply chain. Um, they spent 25 years doing incredibly hard work. I have to give credit to those folks that I don't know personally, but I've read about them. You know, there's like in our world, there's a lot of sort of really big sort of rock star names, if you will, right? From that, from that sort of halcyon days of Cattel. Um, so we actually we 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 leverage the same supply chain. We obviously do not compete. We service different markets. Our path to market is completely different. Um, we have recruited, I'd say, I don't know, like 70% or something of our engineers and physicists. We probably either recruited from first solar or, um, had been there at one time just because this is Cattell manufacturing and Toledo, Ohio is the center of the world for this type of manufacturing. So, so we have, we have that and they've not really given us too much of a hard time about recruiting a lot of their middle management, you know, over time, um, we do, the bigger we get, you know, we kind of compete for students at universities, but that's okay. Um, no, but they, we are, we're a privately held company, so we own it, our investment group, we have other investors. It's, you know, I think we're 60 or 70 million in now, um, to this, to Toledo solar sort of total capitalization. Um, that number will be over, I think over a hundred by the end of the year, um, by the end of this year with our double, with our doubling of our, or tripling rather of our output. Um, so we're sort of like, you know, off on our own little legs and and running as a company. Now we do have several uh, relationships that are sort of formally in the sense of research. So if you look at the CADTEL Accelerator Consortium, so that's called CTAC, you know, everything's got a name. Uh, that's housed at the University of Toledo. Um, the CADTEL Consortium, you know, there's there's a pretty robust research community at the Colorado State University, University of Toledo, um, Colorado School of Mines, you know, the University of Central Florida. Like there is sort of within this research world, we all get together several times a year. And because the Department of Energy now, which never really funded Cattel research over the last 10 years, the DOE is now realizing that domestically manufacturing of solar is very important, not just from jobs and the economics of everything. It's it's and not just to, you know, 
because the you know, climate change is real. It's also the fact that there's domestic security issues when it comes to it. I mean, we live in a world now where we are sort of living in the energy fight, right? And I think it's touching everybody and it will continue to do so as we are now in that. You know, I was in college as a kid, history professors would say, in the future, wars will be over energy and water. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay, sure. But I think we're sort of living in that time. And so now the DOE is is funding a lot more of this research at universities. So they're putting together consortia. We and First Solar are founding board members of a couple of these consortia on the industry side. Um, and that way, industry can work with academia and say, okay, you know, this is what we need to be focusing on in research because this is manufacturable, for instance, right? Like we want to be focused and... And Cattell is an academic research community is pretty cool in that most researchers really do have an industrial mindset. So they're not, you know, coming up with really cool things that are absolutely unmanufacturable because they cost too much, right? So so we have some formal relationships there uh, as it pertains to like NREL and, and these research communities, but that's about it. Um, they've been supportive of us. I mean, in other, in other words, they haven't, you know, yelled at us too much. Um, <laughs> their researchers are really, I mean, I, I deal with their technical folks NREL a lot and they're really great we- guys. Well, both first solar, like I know a lot of their research folks and the, on the, I'd be deal with more of the technical side, um, with, when it comes to our relationship with them and they're great. Um, some of our equipment here, we've actually bought from first solar, uh, when they were doing away with some of their, you know, as they grow and grow and grow. Um, so yeah, it's a, I'd say it's a pretty, again, we wouldn't be doing this if first solar went, so we're not as good as they are at building this global supply chain and, and really taking Cattel to market. I mean, we didn't invent cadmium telluride here at Toledo Solar, right? We're just doing something a little different on the on the markets that we serve. So then, how has Cadtel, or is it is it fair to interchangeably say thin film and Cadtel? Is that accurate? It is. I mean, it's technically a thin film manufacturing um, or a, sil- or a, a semiconductor, but a lot of times thin film is a catch all, right? Because that's like SIGs yeah. and and a lot of other technologies that, quite frankly, just didn't make it, right? The, the, the sort of laws of the jungle just sort of killed them because they were too expensive, they weren't efficient enough. They didn't last very long. You know, all the things that Cattel does really well, right? So a lot of people like to call it thin film. Um, in the academic world, a lot of folks don't like to call it thin film because there's always this like designation, like Cylinder was technically thin film, but it's not Cattel, right? So Yeah, and so we, we, we do have those two buckets of, of thin film and crystalline modules. We can get into the differences between those and the, you know, the value proposition yeah. of, of manufacturing Cattel. But first, how has... Um, this been received by the market since you're you're addressing you know cni and resi with with cadtel something different um has that been yeah. challenging well i think um at first it was a little bit challenging only in that our markets being non-utility i mean utility world everybody knows cadtel right and they financiers developers know it because it's it's the best bankability in the industry right i mean everyone knows in the utilities sort of world they're very well versed in cadtel thin film cadtel etc in the non-utility world, nobody had ever had any idea, right? They just had, didn't know. And so there was a lot of, I think, uh, initial sort of work that we had to do on what I would almost sort of consider like what they've already done, again, what First Solar had already done in the utility scale, which is to show the value proposition of Cattel to the end user, to installers that are servicing end users, et cetera. And, and that means, you know, a lot of modeling and a lot of, you know, Cattel versus silicon modeling examples because... You know, we're, we're self-powered at the end of the day, right? So we, if, for, if Toledo Solar Modules do not provide the fastest payback period for the end user full stop, then it's not a good value proposition. Like we're not here selling off of like a logo or, you know, because we're cool. It's like, no, man, it's dollars and cents, right? 
Um, and we, we know who we are and we have to stay and we stay in our lane kind of. Right. So, so that was challenging. I think at first we had to invest pretty heavily on inside sales support, a lot of tools for our customers to help them sell. Right. But, um, even before the IRA, I mean, our demand, demand has always outstripped our supply, our ability to be supplying. So our contract, our offtake agreements go out years and we have to double, we have to triple our output. And again, 300 megawatts is not that much anymore, right? I mean, I think the smallest plant for solar builds on an annual basis now is like 3.3 gigawatts. So we'll be at this facility on 30 acres in this building at about 2.3 gigawatts by 2027, which for us is a lot of solar. But from the market perspective, it's a drop in the bucket, right? So so we just try to stay in sort of in that framing. And, and we've been very fortunate because, yes, domestically produced solar panels, I think some people really cared about that. In our markets, a lot of people just didn't before IRA um, because there wasn't a lot of incentive and there weren't really a lot of good trade guardrails out there before the Biden administration really came in and started to say, look, the, the laws of the land will be like they're there on the books for a reason. We're just going to enforce them, um, which, of course, brings in a lot of, you know, I think our peers, if you will, in this industry. There's a lot of foreign lobby in the solar industry in the United States, and um, we you know, we we know what they are and they know what they are, but there's a lot of couching, I think, of US jobs in solar that quite frankly are right. not it's not there's a lot of bullshit there, I think. And that's something that we do we sort of on the policy side have to sort of address in our own little small way. But we have been very fortunate. I mean the it's not like we invented a new form of technology that's unproven or untested. So that was kind of again, it just kind of lined up to our in our favor. Um and I, I love to tell you it's because we're really smart, but it's not. I mean it's better to be lucky than smart right so i think that's how we looked at it so just to put a bow on that then how did how does the the cad tell thin film module compare you know performance and yeah. um durability and and you know you mentioned the bankability oh, yeah. for this segment um because it is different yeah. than utility scale with you know utility scale manufacturers are dealing with a smaller pool of of customers presumably whereas you know you're having to educate installers um all over the the country, which is a whole other can yeah. of worms. But on yeah, just on those particulars, how does it compare? Yeah. So so when we when we model, when our engineers model for our customers and help them to model, because you know anymore PVCs, telescope, you know, there's a lot of really good tools that I think are available to these markets and users even that were not available ten years ago. Right um, now, end users can tell how much you know from their phone how much power is coming out of this array on my roof at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, right? What was happening last year? There's a lot of really cool tools that I think only help because Cattell always puts out more power per square meter than silicon and full stop. And there's a, there's always the questions of efficiencies, right? I think our module efficiency right now this week is you know like this this quarter is like eighteen percent or something, right? Now, efficiency, conversion efficiency is, you know, a thousand watts per meter squared. That's what comes out of the sun in theory, right? And then there's how much power in watts is coming out of that installed surface area, say a module, right? And that's your conversion efficiency. The issue with silicon, and silicon's a fine semiconductor, but it has two sort of fundamental issues that are based on the elemental table. It's not it's not the manufacturing process. I mean, there's always things people try to do better, but it's just the end of the day. Polysilicon is polysilicon, so it has to obey by the rule, you know, the laws of physics as it relates to their position on the elemental table. Cattell is a, is a, what we call a two through six compound on the elemental table, so that means that it has a band gap, like I mentioned before. It's called the spectral response. What it means is is that from 
before the sun comes up in the morning and after it sets at night, you get the, you know, in the morning, it's those short wavelengths of light, the ultra ultraviolets and the infrareds and the longer wavelengths. CAD tail modules see all of it. They see all visible spectrum, including the sort of edges of the infrared spectrum on the long end and UV on the short. What that means is that throughout the day, an 18% module, if you have the same amount of DC watts installed, say, you know, silicon or cattel, you will have essentially more sunlight, so many more hours of sunlight throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the year with cattel. So that's kilowatt hours per whatever period of time delta you want to look at. And that's payback period, right? How many hours a day are we producing electrons? And then there, that's spectral response. Cattail always wins. I've, I mean, we have never seen, I have never seen a model where it doesn't. Now, then there's the thermal coefficient and degradation. And so Cattell really likes to be warm as a semiconductor. It actually does this thing we call wake up, right? So during the day, and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and your nominal operating temperature of the substrate is 50 to 60 C. Uh, we test, and this does for solar, at 90 degrees centigrade, okay, for degradation testing. So you want to have Cattell be very powerful, very reliable, and very stable. And you want it to last forever, right? That's the that's the goal. And so thermal coefficient is a very big deal. Silicon has some really sort of limiting factors in that. For instance, the wavelength of light that silicon really likes, which is the sort of that late afternoon sun, that longer wavelength, that's where it gets to higher efficiencies. The problem is that's also the warmest part of the day. And so you have the semiconductor that is the reason why silicon semiconductors and IC chips need fans and moving heat out of those semiconductors is critical for any IC chip. It's the same fundamental technology, right? And so controlling that heat and dissipating it is a real issue. And that that's not only does it cause those silicon modules to downperform throughout the day, but also shortens their lifespan. So that's degradation. So when you look at Cattel, and this is been true for 25 years in the, I mean, the reason why utility scale solar 90% of it or 93% last year in the U S was Cattell was because they know this, right? You have a 25 year power purchase agreement at a 800 megawatt field that billions of dollars are tied up in. If that is not producing over the course of that 25 years, the amount of kilowatt hours contracted, there's a lot, there's litigation like they're, you know, the, the jungle will eat this up. And that's been true in that market for some time. And so that's what I mean by bankability. And so showing that value proposition, the way we show that value proposition in our markets is pretty simple. Basically, if you're like an average homeowner in say Northern California, you're a PG&E customer and you're paying 31 cents a kilowatt hour or something, which is pretty expensive relative to like here in Ohio, uh, without peak demand hours, those numbers even go up higher. And every year there's all this fluctuation. I and mean, it's, it's a bad scene if you're a consumer in some of these states of energy, then we show, look, it's a 16 kilowatt installation uh, for, you know, standard would be sort of on your rooftop uh, for silicon versus Cattell. That's about the same. However, uh, based on your region, based on, you know, the amount of sunlight you're going to get, you can install usually 15 up to 30% less solar than you think you need if you use Cattell. So your, your, the biggest cost in solar is not the module. It's not racking. It's not even the inverter. It's labor, right? So if you can use less people and you, you know, you can, you can install less watts DC and get the same amount of kilowatt hours per year because you're using Cattell. And over the next five, seven, you know, you pay back periods, two years or three years, what have you, it's a good investment, right? And it's a warranted product that's made right here in the States. And, you know, it's 
and you can talk to the manufacturer. It's it's very difficult to you know call CED Green Tech and get a hold of an actual person that made the solar panel itself. And so, and we can tie insurance products to it. And there's a lot of sort of things as, as a domestic manufacturer we can do to, and we do every day to help, you know, our customers being installers generally and some developers in these markets, you know, have their end users have a better product and a faster investment payback period, right? Um, and so that, but that's fundamentally sort of the differences of, of why Cattel. Now, obviously you can manufacture it. It's an automated process. Our manufacturing lines here are about a third of a mile long. Um, that's pretty standard for the way we all do things. Um, it's a very low cost to manufacture. It's a low cost of supply chain. It's a completely different supply chain for the most part than that of silicon. So we source everything domestically. I think every uh, the only th we I think we do some importing on some secondary vendors, but it comes from Canada. I mean, Canada to us here is about forty five minutes, right? We're basically south Detroit. So, so that's kind of the supply chain, if you will, and sort of like the way that we we don't. Cattel manufacturing doesn't get sort of really sideways when the cost of shipping goes from $3,000 a container to $23,000 a container and things are backed up at the ports like that. We're fortunate in that we don't really get um, too hemmed up about that stuff um, so far anyway. Super interesting. And thanks for walking me through that and could probably spend another hour or so on those supply chain intricacies. I mean, you're, you're mentioning um, not having to rely on Oversee imports as much, mainly, you know, the polysilicon issue. And um, we know where where most of that is coming from and and what the crystalline market is, you know, dependent on. Um, let's, let's move on, though, because, you know, I don't have you all day. So in response to the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, that came out of seemingly nowhere. Even our domestic manufacturers who were talking with the Biden administration a lot over the last 18 months about SEMA and incentives for manufacturing and all these different things were like, whoa, we didn't see that coming. I mean, maybe they had an hour or two heads up when the when the legislation came out. And Toledo Solar was one of those first companies to announce we're going big on um, expanding our manufacturing footprint. Keith, take me through how that came together. Was it already in motion yeah. and just the stars mm -hmm. aligned? Yeah, so I can I can tell you from my perspective. So again, we're a small company. We're we're the only privately held manufacturer manufacturer of domestic PV semiconductors in the country, right? So we were very fortunate. I was very fortunate to be invited to those White House calls and a lot of those uh, policymaker calls. And you know, the Ohio caucus, like Marcy Captor here in uh, Toledo, has just been fighting this fight since I think a little after I was born, right? I mean, she's incredible. And a lot of folks have been doing that for fighting these battles for a very long time. Um, and Tim Ryan, when he was running for Senate, you know, we were a lot of folks asked us what our opinion was, including the White House, about from a, you know, from our perspective as a small privately held company. Um, so we were very aware of what of sort of watching the because that, yes, it was the SEMA and it was the Ossoff bill before that. And Krishnamurthy in the House had his own version of it uh, with with Marcy. And there was a lot of stuff that we were asked our opinion on, which we were very happy to, that someone was listening, quite frankly. Um, and so we were pretty close to that process. Um, not that we're that, I mean, it's not that like, like I don't pretend that like, you know, the Biden administration was like, hey, Aaron, but it was nice to be there and, and to be sort of listening, right? And so what I can tell you is that um, it wasn't perfect, right? That process was pretty messy. Like like all good legislation, like all good democracies, it's supposed, it's designed, it's a feature, right? It's supposed to be messy and not perfect. And that's just the nature of democracy. So 
we supported it. I would have liked to have seen, I think we all would have liked to have seen um, more of a stick based approach for like federal tax credits going to help foreign bad actors, basically. Right. Um, that have historically that, that do not care. I mean, to be clear, foreign countries like China, you know, they decimated the solar market on purpose domestically. They wanted to wipe everybody out. This was not like an accident. This was the plan. Right. And so, and there's a lot of, you know, untruths, if you will, in solar manufacturing, you know, like USA solar, not to pick anyone out. It's just, there's nothing domestic about a lot of these components and, and semiconductors. Modular, and there's a lot more, of misinformation. more module assembly than, than anything else. Is, is exactly. Like, and, yeah. and that, by the way, is low paying domestic jobs for when they are domestically manufactured. There's a reason why the semiconductor manufacturing is so critical. It's so important. It's, I mean, silicon requires more energy than any other form of green energy, right? I mean, this is why they have to burn so much coal in China to make solar panels. I mean, the export of solar products from China is like 8% of their GDP. It's not a small number. There's a reason why they use slave labor to, you know, it's very labor intensive. It's very energy intensive. It's why it's been so difficult from a, 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 you know, a level playing field here in the States where without subsidy, you have to figure out how to make panels and compete, right? And so we knew that and and we had always planned on our growth cycle of you know taking this facility up to about two seven or two eight in gigawatt output here, just here, um, over the next you know 10 years, basically, right? Again, I mentioned sort of our business plan is a little more organic, say, than a lot of again, trying to listen to the smart folks who've been doing this a long time saying, we all made that mistake and domestically 10 years ago, you know, let's not do it again. So what did happen, though, is that from our perspective, it de-risked the investment because it's a huge capital allocation for us. I mean, we're not first solar, right? We're not selling stock on the market. So to put a $500 million note down and say, this is what we're going to capitalize as a group. And there was lots of people here. Um, and every employee is a shareholder in this company, right? That's a lot of humans that have to have a lot of willpower to make that type of investment, both from a time perspective as well as capital. So when we saw the, when IRA passed and we saw the seriousness, not just that they were taking on, you know, some degree of tax credit differentiation, like 30 to 40% for domestic, that's a big one for our customers. The U.S. manufacturing tax credit, there's only two companies right now that qualify for the full, that's us and First Solar. The full 40%. Well, no, no. That, so the full 40% is ours and First Solar's for the end user. So if you are, you know, whomever owns that field, developer or, you know, Mr. Mrs. Smith, yeah, it's a 40% ITC tax credit at minimum with our modules and all the balance of material systems that go with our modules. That's a big deal to the end user. Additionally to that, there's a U.S. manufacturing tax credit side, which has never happened in, that I'm aware of in the history of our country wherein there's a little more added incentive, not just for us and, and First Solar to continue to invest in domestically made products, but also for what I think is fair for foreign companies to build plants here in the States. If it's, I mean, I, we can argue about Silicon and Cattell all day long, that's fine. But I believe very strongly that just like the Japanese auto market in the 80s, if you're going to sell cars here, then you should build plants and employ Americans here. I mean, that's that's what trade policy is supposed to be, especially when you get involved in taxpayer-funded tax credits, right? So there was a lot of that that we, now I can't speak for First Solar, but I know that we were basically able to know that if that passed, then instead of it being a 10-year plan, we could accelerate that 
that investment, right? Over the next, you know, sort of four to five years instead of sort of eight to 10 years, which is exactly what we did and continue to do. And so it was a big deal. I mean, that means that, you know, I think right now we're around 50 some people on headcount. By the end of this year, that number should be around 100. Um, in five years, it will be hundreds and hundreds of people that are working here at Toledo Solar. And that's a supply chain in North America that's already employing, you know, tens and tens of thousands of Americans. And I mean, our median salary here is like $100,000 a year, right? So these are good paying jobs in Northwest Ohio. And uh, I think First Solar is the same, quite frankly. So anyway, that's that's what Iris sort of meant to us. Um, there was a lot of weird stuff that happened during that time. A lot of weird misinformation, frankly speaking, from the left, from like the far left of the of the party, which was odd. You know, there was this sort of like talisman of we're never going to hit our climate change goals if we are restricting. These were talking points that were just not true. I mean, just not accurate, of course, like most sort of policy talking points. But to be very clear, they were absolutely crafted by a foreign lobby. I mean, that's that is absolutely true. Well, and you're talking about this overlap, too, of of the IRA as it was announced and then playing out in Congress. We were also dealing with the Commerce Department's investigation of the Oxen Solar petition, which we have talked about a lot on this podcast. We don't need to go through every particular. But these two things were moving, you know, at the same time, and they, they mm-hmm. do um, matter to each other. So maybe we should talk a little bit about the the um, the tariff issue, too. You know, yeah. one of those complaints from even the industry lobby here not talking about foreign influences, was that, look, 80% of our module supply is coming from Southeast Asia. If you do this, you are tur- you know, turning your back on clean energy, renewable energy. That was in the press releases that were coming from trade Yeah, groups. I'm very familiar with that and, talking point. And, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you are. And, and that was a multi-million dollar campaign against the Biden administration. And we've seen what, yes, what happened next. I mean, Commerce, in their preliminary determination, said about half of the companies they were looking into were circumventing the, the duties against China. But the Biden administration, President Biden, put that two-year moratorium in place on, on new tariffs on modules imported from Southeast Asia. When you look at the demand here in the U.S. from developers and the supply that exists today, the manufacturing supply that exists in this country today, is it realistic to believe that we can scale the domestic manufacturing base to a point where we can meet demand right there? And like, how long will that take? Because I think that's been the chief criticism is that, you know, we don't have such a long runway on those climate goals and um, we just don't have enough modules here today. Yeah, absolutely. So. The reason that we don't have as many modules in this robust manufacturing chain is because it's it is impossible to manufacture silicon semiconductors or photovoltaics those modules here domestically on an unlevel playing field. It just is like you can't have it both ways. Cattel, I'm not saying Cattel is a solution for everything, just because I mean even for solar as fast as they scale as fast as we scale. I'm not trying to. I mean I love cadmium tired. I'm subjective, so. It's not an either or, it's not a binary discussion. The reason that you're not going to have that, and this is what hopefully they're they're hoping IRA will provide incentive to do, is that those companies will invest in domestically manufactured products. Now, to be clear, none of these companies want to do that. All right, nobody wants to build semiconductor plants in the United States. The capital outlay for a silicon manufacturing plant, it's two years. And it's it's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars before you've made one product. It is a not a small undertaking to build these plants from ground zero. And the amount of energy they require is enormous. That's why there's a lot of them being built in Buffalo because of the hydroelectric deal they're trying to cut 
with you know hydroelectric providers. It is it is a very expensive manufacturing process. That's why China dominates it, and China has no interest in in leveling that playing field. It just it wouldn't be logical from their perspective. It's not personal. It's just a, it's the game of of finance. So. The reason that you're, you know, the, I believe what they're trying to do is to start to gradually level that playing field. I mean, the trade guardrails in place, the Biden administration, like there was never part of the charge for the Commerce Department to put additional tariffs on anyway. That was a talking point that when the Biden administration announced no new tariffs for two years, there, it was like, OK, well, that was never supposed to be the charge. And most importantly, we shouldn't be pushing a, you know an independent executive branch to shut down investigations. The Commerce Department's doing its job. The Oxen Solar case, I, I mean, I don't know those guys, but I mean, I've, I've been on calls where I've listened to them talk. I mean, we're talking about the enforcement of laws that were already on the books. I mean, anti-circumvention laws have been on the books here since the 1920s. So it's just saying, look, I mean, what they found were these companies have been breaking the law and we are watching them. And these over here are just basically dead. I mean, they're just not, you know, we we absolutely can prove that they have been circumvented. I don't think China cared too much. I think they shut those companies down and start up the next day as a different name or whatever it is they do. Some of the larger names are basically now on notice. Hanwha and Qcells and South Korean companies and Jinko. I think they're basically like, we are going to enforce the law. But to be clear, it's not a new tariff. It's an existing law that's on the books. You got caught speeding. Don't speed. So I don't think that I mean, I think there's a lot of scare tactics absolutely around this. And it was from both sides of the aisle. It really was. And really, the far left of the wing even was saying the yeah, same for thing. for different reasons. We're yeah. not going to hit our climate. Yeah. But though, to be clear, I mean, those might be domestic lobbying groups. It's SIA is what we're talking about. I mean, there's a reason why we nor First Solar are members of SIA, nor our entire global supply chain. It's because SIA, I mean, whom, whom do you think SIA represents? Is it? Is it the the installer, the guy working, or the person working at an installer? No, it's. I mean, they're representing utility scale developers. Yeah. Who who abs- not? I mean, First Solar is the largest utility scale developer historically, but it's it is our it our company. They're they are financial companies that their job. I mean, their their margins are predicated on continuing to have a very low cost supply of a product. That it is what it is, and. And I, I expect pushback. It's just the logic of business, right? It's not, it's, it's, it's implied self-interest. I mean, that is inherently what capitalism is supposed to be, right? So I understand it, but there's a lot of talking points that I think are a lot of scare tactics. I, I do not get concerned, quite frankly, that we're not going to hit our climate goals by 2030 or 2035. And I say that because it's the laws of economics. The cost of electricity is not going down. It's continuing to go up. People I mean, the cost of natural gas is tied to this globally. It has been forever. You know, they're like, it's, it's, it, the trade is on the tracks, economically speaking. And I think I personally always look to the economics of something when I look at a market. And that's why I, I have faith, right? Because I, it's not faith in something that doesn't make any logical sense. And so, you know, I do want to see silicon plants being built in the States. And I think that they do have, they've got a pretty lax runway, quite frankly, to continue this importation over the next two years which is about the time it takes for all of these plants to come online. There've been a lot of announcements by companies that are investing in domestically manufactured semiconductors. And I really hope that they do it. I really do. I think that's better. I think rising tides rise all ships when it comes to solar. Um, so we'll see, you know. Well, but so, so then just to, to round that out, I think 
you know, the, the biggest concern, at least within the industry on uh, from those developers who are importing those modules. There's obviously a lot of insecurity about um, long term, you know, multi-decade contracts that are being put in place and, and PPAs are being thrown yeah. out and people are sitting on projects that are just racking up debt and all of these things. And we've got about 10 gigawatts of domestic manufacturing capacity in the U.S., you know, give or take. And there have been a lot of announcements, like you said. But if the Biden administration wants us to be doing like 25 gigawatts installed a year um, very soon, there is a gap Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, it's in my opinion, everything that's sort of in the way that we path the path to market, the way it sort of works in solar right now. It's all predicated on a lot of importation, right? You know, ninety percent or whatever the hell it is of what's coming out is, especially in the utility scale, where it's for solar dominantly. Um, in our markets, it's a very weird supply chain, meaning that you have distributors whom are, by and large, you know, warehouses and logistics companies. Um, some really big ones that are importing and hand- doing their jobs as logistic agencies. That is because of the way that we, as a country, sort of import, and that's just the you know, the rules of economics will dictate the types of businesses that work in a certain path to market structure. It sort of figures itself out over time. Manufacturing domestically will probably mean a bit of a change in the way, sort of the way we all do things like distributors buying from overseas. There will, like we are a manufacturer, we generally don't sell through distribution now, right? We could, we've chosen, we've chosen not to, quite frankly, because we're just small enough where it didn't make a lot of sense. And our, our, we ship directly to generally installers is who we sell to. Um, I think that we see a more, so there will have to be more streamlining of the overall market and its supply chain. Once you have more domestic manufacturing happening, it's going to take several years. I think there is a two way there's, there is a runway here that nobody is saying not to stop importing. I mean, the, the Biden administration made that pretty clear. So, you know, and you're you're going to have so that's a bit of a chicken or the egg issue, because at the same time, companies like ours and we're not the only ones, there will be a lot more folks that are investing in different types of technologies, right? Different types of manufacturing methodologies. But they need to have the security to know that what happened in 2010 is not going to happen again. There have to be some guardrails that you can't have your cake and eat it, too. I mean, we're either going to treat solar as Americans the way that my generation basically treated textiles, where for a very small period in the 90s, we all really cared about who was making our clothes and our tennis shoes. And then we just stopped caring. Right. Then we all sold out in our 40s. We're either going to do that or we're not. Right. When it comes to solar and and people are going to have to realize that the way that we've been doing things will have to change a bit. Domestic supply will change. It will have a different form in my opinion, of that supply chain and that that value chain. But that's what happens. I mean, not, you know, nobody wants to change the way they're doing things. Companies inherently don't like to do that because it can affect margins. That's like water is wet, but also progress moves on, man. And so you, I think that that's, I, I, I don't get terrified of this. I think it's, I mean, people thought we were crazy for investing heavily into this four years ago. And I look forward to more groups, more institutional finance groups that are investing heavily in solar. And I can tell you, I've already seen that market changing. I mean, the private equity markets four years ago were like, man, solar's insane. You know, my senior partner lost his ass five years ago or eight years ago. Like, I'll get fired if we even look at this type of investments. And now that's completely different. I mean, now you have a big sea change on the institutional finance side. 
And when they access the capital and the cost of capital gets lower, things get, you know, things happen, right? Plants get built, companies start hiring. You know, these are the things that happen from my perspective. And so when I see that happening in the, in the, in the private equity markets, frankly, just the ones that I know, right? And in public markets as well. But when you see these types of investments happening now, it's a stitch in time. And so I, I look to that as sort of like a compass. And so I don't get worried. I get excited. I think that's a really, I think it's a really exciting time to be in solar. I don't look at it. Now, does that mean that there are definitely, you know, utility scale uh, developers who are nervous? Uh, yeah. And I, I empathize. Also, you know, it's a, it's, I mean, that's business, right? I mean, that's, it's the nature of the game. Um, and so not to sound hard-hearted about it. I mean, I, I don't like hearing about projects that are delayed and jobs that are are maybe on pause any more than anyone else. It's bad. It's bad for our country. But I know that we can figure it out. And I, I have total faith that capital markets, policymakers can continue to do this. I just think that, you know, there's always going to be the normal course of bitching and moaning about things, I guess. Not to be not to sound like an asshole about it. Aaron Bates, it was great uh, hearing about Toledo Solar, your background, and, and just really how you view the market and, and where things are headed. So thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate the time. Thanks again to Toledo Solar CEO Aaron Bates for joining the podcast. And to clarify a point he made a minute ago, Hanwha Q-Cells Malaysia and Jinko Solar Malaysia were among the eight companies being investigated by the Commerce Department as part of the Oxen Solar petition, but they were found not to be circumventing trade duties against China. And just last week, a couple of days after speaking with Bates, Q-Cells announced plans to invest $2.5 billion in what they call a complete silicon-based solar supply chain in the U.S., due to the incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act. Factor This is a production of Renewable Energy World and Clarion Energy. Join us every Monday as we break down solar's most important topics with industry leaders who actually move the needle. And please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.